Welcome to Pillow Voices, a production of Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival with content from the Pillow Archives. I'm Norton Owen, the Pillow's Director of Preservation, and it's my pleasure to host this episode focusing on Eve Laris Cohen's exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art, entitled Studio Theater. Here I'm in conversation with exhibition curator Martha Joseph and former Pillow Director Liz Thompson with a future episode to feature Eve himself. Well, here we are at the Museum of Modern Art in Manhattan, and I am pleased to be here with Martha Joseph, who is the curator of the Studio Theater exhibition here, as well as Liz Thompson, who was a transformative and longtime director at Jacob's Pillow and my one-time boss. (laughs) So, um, Martha, I wonder if we can start with you, if you could scope out for us the, um, the, the Studio Theater exhibition and what exactly that is. Of course, it's a pleasure to be in conversation with you both. Um, Studio Theater is an exhibition by Brooklyn-based artist Eve Laris-Cohen that is currently on view in our Kravis studio, which is the Museum of Modern Art's performance space here on the fourth floor within the run of our collection galleries. And as an exhibition, it brings together the remains of the Doris Duke Theater, um, into a new transformative installation that Eve has created, a sculptural installation that's on view during the day. And it stages a dialogue between these two theater spaces, the Doris Duke on the one hand and the Kravis studio on the other hand. Um, the installation then is animated uh, during weekly performances that happen on Wednesday nights over the course of the exhibition. And there are two distinct performances, one titled Preservation and one titled Conservation. And the performers include a cast of characters, including you both, (laughs) that all have a relationship in one form or another to either Jacob's Pillow or the Museum of Modern Art in terms of their institutional history, their relationship to performance um, and architecture as well. Well, thank you for for really tracing that out. It's really, I have to say, it's remarkable to be here at the museum and to have such a uh, noteworthy piece of Jacob's Pillow history here in the building with us. It is quite moving to have this piece of architecture, this remnant from the remains of the fire, to be present with it and to be present with it 150 miles away from Jacob's Pillow and and recognize that everything that we're experiencing right now is, of course, a direct result of that fire. We would not be sitting here at this moment if it hadn't been for that, for the fire and everything that has transpired afterwards. I wonder, though, you know, Liz, your presence in the performance is so much about the beginnings of the theater. And, you know, it's 
very clear, I think, to everyone uh, that the theater would not have existed had it not been for you. And so your role here in talking about that is really moving, and it's really um, it it it's it, it's it's fundamental, let's say, because the none again none of this would have existed had you not birthed that theater. I I wonder if you could say something. I know you talk about it every two weeks as part of the performance, but uh, if you could reflect some on that building and your role in it. Well, my mission when I came to The Pillow was uh, to uh, disrupt the kinds of artists that I was interested in, Ishmael Houston Jones and Fred Holland and uh, Blondell Cummings and Ralph Lemon um, were my friends and, and co-workers in a way. And I performed in studios, in, not in studios, in lofts. Um, and that was my milieu and dance theater workshop and Judson and uh, that didn't exist at the pillow. I mean, uh, what was presented and what audiences were used to were good, solid dance, you know. Um, I mean, you've heard me say this before, but my husband, Clive Thompson, danced with Alvin Ailey, and I walked around in lofts, and my kids used to say, Mommy walks and Daddy dances, and that's really what the pillow audience expected. They wanted pirouettes and grand jetés, and, uh, you know, people like Ayn Gordon was talking, my gosh, and sitting and standing, and that was dance. And so how to uh, make that happen at the pillow uh, was really my challenge. And it started with um, building the Inside Out platform uh, because uh, I figured if people didn't like what they were looking at, they could look at the trees moving <laughs> in the wind and the birds, and they could get up and leave because it was outside. Mm -hmm. And after that, um, let's see, we did Splash, which was a two-week, festival within the festival where we used all of the studio spaces. Um, it was very low-tech, but it was very dense with marvelous artists um, who I could not present in the Ted Sean Theater because uh, we needed every dime uh, from uh, the uh, revenue from that theater. Yeah, the Splash performances were really the first time, I think, that you started to be able to program the the kinds of artists that you really believed in, even though, I mean, you had put Trisha Brown in the Ted Sean yeah, Theater. Yeah, the Trisha, you know, the, the, the wasn't uh, the Trisha Brown of uh, the roof piece that I was in, uh, where we passed uh, movement from one to another on different rooftops in Manhattan, or... Joe climbing over the side of a building or Trisha walking around a column in a museum. Uh, it was, you know, it was Trisha Brown moving. It was in what she was like 
iconoclastic about in those days was a kind of movement, a kind of release and soft flowing movement, uh, which was just as difficult as contracting and releasing. Uh, uh, and the audiences could get into that. Of course, just uh, a side remembrance here, Paul Donahue, who was chairman of the board when I got there, just asked one thing of me, and that was, please don't present Merce Cunningham, <laughs> who, of course, I presented, but um, didn't fill the house, right? you know. So it was necessary to create uh, something, another theater. Uh, and um, it's interesting that a very illustrious group of architects who adjudicated the national competition that we ran chose a barn-like structure, uh, which thrilled me because it didn't impose anything visibly new on what I had come to feel was Stonehenge. I mean, I, th I thought the pillow as it existed was very dear to me. And so this building was built beyond what existed and um, didn't look uh, threatening at all. And <laughs> beware thee who enter here. Um, and I was able to then begin to program uh, what I loved, and it, it served. You know, it's interesting because I read a, a line in the New York Times that said, bemoaning the loss and saying that was the center of creativity at the pillow. That pleased me a lot because that's what it was meant to be. And over the years now, other th things can be presented in the Ted Sean because there's audience now uh, for it. But still having a theater of that scale is something I can certainly say that we we keenly miss, uh, not having that at this point in time. Yeah, it was much less pressure mm -hmm. for the artists and for the audience. Um, and I don't think that the new building is going to be that. Um, it is going to be of its time, mm -hmm. as was the studio theater when I built it, mm -hmm. um, because it's going to reflect all the technology. And um, I think if they were really going to reflect the time, they'd build an apartment house where people <laughs> could be. <laughs> well, that may be in, coming too. In their, but, uh, in their individual rooms, creating you know new forms of yeah. communication. No, but yeah. really. Um, I'm sad that you can't have both, quite frankly. And, you know, the irony is we built that theater with all the mechanisms, all the fail-safe mechanisms for fire, including, uh, you know, uh, water and the bells and whistles, that the alarms. And it's ironic that that... They all failed. Well, of course, as part of this project, we have a Beckett fireman as yeah. who is um, taking part in these presentations at MoMA. 
I wonder if Martha, if you can say a bit more about this is this is such an unusual artwork, and I realize, yeah. of course, that you're in. Um, that the the area of moment that you're in deals with performance, but um, I wonder if you could say something about how how this fits in at a place like MoMA. Absolutely. Well, I was thinking, um, Liz, when you were talking about a lot of the artists that you programmed in the studio theater when it was first built, um, artists like Trisha Brown um, or uh, the connection to Judson Dance Theater. Um, that's a generation of artists that my department is really indebted to. Mm. Um, we had a large-scale exhibition of Judson Dance Theater mm. um, in 2018. And we also have acquired work by Trisha Brown, including um, part of the archive. So um, I've been thinking a lot about not just how Eve as an artist feels right for the performance department at MoMA, because he simultaneously has this background as a dancer, practice as a sculptor and performance artist, but also how this very particular moment of the 80s and early 90s at the Pillow that you both talk about so eloquently in the work really resonates with the history of programming that my department has Yeah, done. you're trying to do here what I tried to do, it seems to me, with the studio theater. I mean, you're amidst classics, um, classics that once outraged, uh, it's true, but you're trying things that are even more outrageous. <laughs> well, I'm flattered, Liz, but also, you know, one comment you made in a recent performance that I particularly liked when Eve asked you about your relationship to Ted Sean, and I believe you responded that you both were iconoclasts, is something that really resonated with me. Um, also, in terms of the thinking about how Eve's work lives here at the museum and the relationship it has to the other narratives mm. on view. Yeah, I think it's a very difficult piece. I mean, I it, it's very simple, uh, but I try to explain it to people, and I find it isn't easy to explain it. Yes, that's very true, that the structure of the, pre the live presentations that we're doing are essentially Q&As, you know, uh, mm -hmm. where Eve is the questioner and he is having a dialogue with each one of us. And I should say that aside from Liz and myself, that we are also joined by Tony Tung, who was uh, a planner who worked very closely with Jacob's Pillow in the years that led up to uh, the well, the the years that that Liz was directing, but also the years that led up to the building of the studio theater. And we also have um, Stephen Fernstall, who was the original architect for the theater. So having you know, this range of viewpoints feels to me, even though, <laughs> even though Eve has kept us all very separate yes, and we don't, indeed. we don't necessarily, we're, we're like siloed and we don't necessarily hear what each other are saying. Um, 
but I think that that that's part of his process, that he wants us to speak our own truth and not be influenced by the other people right. who are part of this. And he wants to provoke us. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, do you, so that we are just a little bit off center uh, in our responses. But I think um, his provocations and... Uh, and the fact that he changes his questions week to week um, ends results in a particular intimacy um, and spontaneity between you and him that as an audience member is quite captivating to mm. watch. So you don't feel like you're watching a piece of theater. Um, in fact, often the way I describe this work to people who want to learn about it, um, I'm, I'm using other terms that don't come from the realm of performance, describing it either as a live oral history mm -hmm. or a live documentary. That makes sense. Or even thinking about the room as a courtroom. Um, there is mm. a stenographer, a court reporter, who's um, live capturing in writing yeah, and wonderful. in shorthand um, all of the dialogues that you're having. That goes also to the fact that Eve was working with each of you one-on-one -on -one and you're kind of kept separate so that each of your narrative stays true to who you are. And also um, there's kind of this nice multiplicity that unravels over the course of the entire project. It's going to be wonderful to see the documentation of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that we'll each be able to have more of a sense than we do now Absolutely. of what the totality of it is. I absolutely agree. Um, and I certainly think that the people listening to us now um, will have chances, I think, to uh, see that documentation. Um at Jacob's Pillow, certainly, and um, and and maybe at MoMA in in future years as well. But it's um, it's an incredible juncture to be sitting in at this moment. I have to say, and I feel the weight of it to some degree, and the and the import of it that we are here in this building with a piece of Jacob's Pillow with people um, who have played a role in in Jacob's Pillow history and um, and knowing that all of this will be history as well. I think legacy is uh, a lot of different things, you know, and legacy is more than just buildings. And certainly in the case of Jacob's Pillow and your legacy, I think of things like uh, the, some of the programming that you've spoken about already. I think about Inside Out. I think about uh, one of the hugest things, and I always talk about this whenever I'm showing people, when I'm taking people around the grounds of Jacob Spillow. because, Well, yes, the fences. I mean, it was the, one of the first things you did after your, in, in your first year of 1980, which was terrifying to some of the some of us who had been there in the past suddenly like oh these areas that were private um like suddenly you had the public walking around and and it was scary well uh, for me personally since my kids grew up there at the pillow and you know, I remember at the Dance Magazine Awards, I said Jacob was my third son, um, and he was. Um, you know, I can no longer take my grandchildren there and point to the theater 
Uh, and um, th- that saddens me. That's all. I, I mean, they, they, verbally, they'll hear about it. Right. Um, but um, th- that just I, saddens me. But uh, but Eve once asked me, you know, if if uh, theater was to burn down, you know, should it be the Sean or, uh, you know, the studio theater? I, I mean, hands down. Well, it's the right one that was burnt up, but... Um, well, it's it's tragic no matter what. That is that is for sure. But I I still maintain that you know even even without that building in our midst, which we miss every day, uh, your presence is felt every day. Also, I'm and, about to hover over. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like you hovering over. No, because, it's like what you said the uh, uh, when we were driving down here that these podcasts are often voices of people who are not around anymore. And I thought, well, I'm 82. God knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, when you will broadcast this. <laughs> uh, you're very much with us at the moment. And uh, and I'm so thrilled and honored that you are part of this presentation here at the museum. Well, you are, you know, Mr. Preservation <laughs> personified at the pillow. I remember when in one of my first year there, you know, he came to me and said, um, I opened these trunks and there are things in it that are important. I thought, Norton, I don't know if I can pay your salary next week, you know, um, but wonderful. Go ahead. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. <laughs> and, and that was the beginning. Well, no, it was you've done you did things before that. But um, no, thanks. You know, great thanks to you. Well, it, as we say, it takes a village, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I'm really struck, even though Eve um, is not having you all sit in on group rehearsals or working with you together, I'm struck by the community that Eve has created by bringing you all mm. together on this project. Of course, you know each other um, f- from many years ago, but I'm curious to hear from you both how it feels to connect after all these years and what new insights you might have um, working together again. Well, it's been, I will jump in to say it's been incredible for me and part of of what I've enjoyed the most out of this experience, I think, have been the the drives that Liz and I have had (laughs) going back and forth between the Berkshires and New York um, because we've had a lot of time to talk and I've really enjoyed that so much. So have I and... Eve should know he's blessed because if Norton hadn't been driving down, I'm not sure I would be here. (laughs) For me, it's been very emotional and um, important uh, because um, I have, as Norton does, uh, an umbilical cord connection um, with the pillow. And in a sense, mine needed severing because I'm not there anymore. And this has allowed me uh, to find that um, other relationship. So it's been important. I mean, the only thing that pisses me off is that when I, all you hear about is the Duke, 
the Duke, the Duke. I mean, you know, it's not the Harvey. It's, and, and dear old, the people at the Doris Duke Foundation who had the good sense to give the pillow the money, I appreciate very much. But where are their names? Do you know what I mean? They're the ones who actually, um, went through the process of saying, yeah, this is something important. Yeah. And yet, Eve named the exhibition Studio Theater, which was after really the, ty- the name of the theater. Really when it was touching, first yeah, for me. And yet he made a change also, which I the 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 attention to detail is quite um, notable that he that he made it theater spelled E R instead of theater R E, which is the way we spelled it at Jacob's Fellow, and you know that makes a distinction. It makes it something different. It makes a statement, and um, and I think that's just one small example of how he has crafted this exhibition and this project in a way that I can't imagine anybody else doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, The attention, his attention to detail kind of transcends the detail. Um, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, his questioning of these different categories, studio and theater, and what they mean and how they might differ in terms of an architectural construction for a theater theater versus a studio, and how they might differ in terms of programmatic visions um, is interesting to me because I feel that it reflects back on the space in which you're performing. Oh, absolutely, so, absolutely. Just as much as you are yeah. explicitly discussing Jacob's Pillow, it implicitly reflects the Kravis studio that you're in. No, abs- absolutely. That's thrilling, um, actually. But the other connection with MoMA was the fire uh, that destroyed the um, water lilies. Um, and yes. Uh, for me, that's been fantastic to think about. Uh, what it means to preserve a painting, um, you know, I, which reminds me of Merce saying, well, we're dancers, you can't hang us up on the wall. I mean, you kind of can see us now in, in other forms, which uh, didn't exist then. But um, yeah. just thinking about that kind of conservation and preservation and what is the difference between conservation and preservation. He's rather a smart young man. (laughs) (laughs) He is. Um, Yeah, even I had a lot of conversations early on in our process of working together about why is this exhibition happening at the Museum of Modern Art? And he was, of course, interested in these questions of conservation, and we began having conversations much like he did with you all at the pillow, um, informally with my colleagues who work here, and uh, in speaking with, I believe it was Kate Lewis, the head of our conservation department, learned that our conservation department was actually birthed in the wake of a fire at the museum in 1958. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we were interested in the fact that fire simultaneously was this point of unexpected connection between mm-hmm. these two institutions. Um, and then also on MoMA's side, wasn't just a traumatic event, but also um, birthed something new. It was transformative. Mm-hmm. It resulted in 
a deeper institutional commitment to conservation of the collection. And I think of the two different performances, preservation and conservation, a little bit in terms of before and after. Um, in preservation, you talk about the building of the theater leading up to the fire. And in conservation, we're telling a history of MoMA that begins with that moment and the fire and the beginning of the conservation department and then moves forward from there and asks questions about how we contend with these fragile materials and artworks that remain within our walls. And thank you for bringing that back to MoMA again, as I think we need to wrap up this conversation. But it's been so wonderful to speak to both of you. And uh, we'll keep talking. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Pillow Voices. Thank you for joining us today. On behalf of Jacob Spillow, we look forward to sharing more dance with you through the films, essays, and podcasts at danceinteractive.jacobspillow.org. And of course, through live experiences during our festival and throughout the year. Special thanks to the National Endowment for the Arts for helping launch this podcast series. Please subscribe to Pillow Voices wherever you get your podcasts and visit us again soon, either online or on site. <laughs>